The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to another segment of the Internet Excuse me, of the Cyber Law Business Report. Um, I'm broadcasting here live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, California. And um, we've got another beautiful day. We've got another great show for you. And actually, I should say uh, a very good show. Um, it's actually the anniversary of Ed Sullivan's death. So I, I, I spared you the impersonation. But um, we're going to be starting off with talking about some. And new interesting business models. You may recall that we had the founder of Startups.com um, is also the uh, founder of Startups.com. Um, excuse me, KillerStartups.com. And um, one of those – it's a great website, by the way, finding new and interesting um, companies that are out there that have new ideas um, and particularly for Web 2.0 apps. And we're going to have someone talk about uh, one of those apps, um, one of those um, – New websites that are got a lot of people talking and has some interesting ideas. Um, very innovative site called Kickstarter. We're going to have Ron Burnham on to talk about that. I'm going to give you some news after that. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the latest, um, the Peace Treaty on Amazon and um, what that means for affiliates in California and beyond and some other developments that are going on. And then um, we're very pleased to have with us um, – a famous um, privacy blogger with Forbes, um, Cashmere Hill. You may know her blog, The Not-So-Private Parts. Um, she's just been tireless at, at breaking great stories on um, you know, basically the, the latest in, in privacy in terms of you know, what this whole new era means. Um, you know, She's broken stories on issues from everything from browser sniffing to even OnStar monitoring your privacy. It was one of her more recent posts. And so we're thrilled to have her in the second half hour. Um, so, But first, we're going to start off with Ron Burnham. And um, Ron is um, an accomplished um, performer as well as a, a legal professional. She has actually worked with the Internet Law Center. And Ron, are you with us? Yes, I am. Ron, thank you for joining us, and uh, I was thrilled to see that you were doing this project through Kickstarter, and uh, I uh, actually forwarded Kickstarter to a couple of performer friends of mine, and um, you know, as you know, I'm a real big fan of Killer Startups anyway, which, is, which has highlighted Kickstarter on its site several months back. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what is Kickstarter? Well, uh, Kickstarter is a website where you can join and become a member of their group and you can post you put up a web page that you create they have a you know uh, like an automated thing where you can set it all up and if you have an art project or an innovative project i guess of any sort uh, i've seen wonderful technology projects on it and stuff like that as well as art projects 
if you have one of these projects and it's too small to go to the usual financing channels or for some other reason you can't go to the usual financing channels, you can sign up with Kickstarter, uh, get them to approve your project, and then you can post it. And that's what I did with my project. And um, what, is the, what does it take to get started with Kickstarter? Do you, do you need to f- you know, put up any, any amount of funding or is it just um, you know, whatever, you just disclose what you want and people want to contribute, they contribute? Well, the whole purpose of uh, Kickstarter is so that you can raise money in order to do your project. Uh, and uh, basically, all I had to do was sign up, submit my project to them, and they have a, they have a form on the site where you can fill out and answer their questions and everything. And you send that off to them, and they will respond back to you with whether or not they... Uh, can include it on their program. And uh, actually, the response was quite quick for me. I was very pleased and surprised about that. So, so they screen. You, they you screen do. and they, they pick projects. Can you give me a sense of what some of the projects that are on there? Uh, I have actually, I joined Kickstarter originally because a friend of mine from a, uh, from a company I used to work at had put his project up there. He was publishing a new humor magazine, mm-hmm. and they needed to get financing to start the magazine. So I sent them money, and uh, they they made their goal, and they got the magazine out. And uh, I, I'm actually still receiving issues of it, uh, so it's still it's still in business after more than a year. Uh, I've seen record, you know, uh, personal recording projects like mine. I've seen uh, comic book projects. There was a wonderful technology project called the Glyph, which is a little device that you can put an iPhone in to prop it up so you can shoot videos with it, or you can attach it to a tripod. And I I signed up for one of those. And uh, there's another one that same company is making now called the, uh, oh dear, the Cosmonaut. It's a kind of stylus device for iPad where you can draw with it. That is still in development, and they're hoping to get it out uh, towards the end of the year. So it's just anything and everything. Um, I, you know, furniture projects. If you're a furniture designer, if you do any kind of design, uh, you could put your project on there. But I think that their their parameter has to do with the size of the project, and uh, you know, as far as the money you can collect is concerned. My uh, project is a very low-funded project, but the uh, Cosmonaut, I think, has raised more than $100,000. Wow. What are some of the other popular projects on the show, on the, um, on the website? Well, I've seen um, paintings, movie projects. There's quite a lot of movie projects that they're doing. I haven't signed up for all the things I've seen. You can pick and choose what you like, what, what captures your fancy. And then you send a contribution. It can be anywhere from $1 up to whatever. And uh, in, ter- in return for that, um, for your contribution, they have a tiered level of rewards, kind of like they do with, with uh, you know, public radio when they're doing a financing campaign. And the rewards generally are unique to the project. Uh, a lot of them are self-created by the people who are, are doing the project. Um, I've received 
um, I signed up for one recently that was a musical one called The Funklet, which, uh, which funded to, you know, it, they hit their target and they put their thing out, and it was a booklet of different drum riffs by famous drummers. Hmm. And uh, they had it, they had codified it visually so you could see it, and that was the booklet. But they also downloaded, uh, you could download a, a series of recordings of those riffs played by someone so that you could hear them and look at them at the same time. I, I got this specifically for a friend of mine as a Christmas present, and I, I hope it'll be a surprise for him. He's not here in the city, so I figure I can talk about it. Well, I don't know. There's such a worldwide you know, audience for this program. It just um. covers it just covers everything. It's a lot of uh, a lot of smaller arts projects, though. A lot of these projects are personal to people, um, which is kind of why they've gone to Kickstarter rather than going to a, you know, a, a venture capitalist or to a bank. Now, um, tell us about your project. My project is I've uh, I've written a 17-minute mass for chorus and light instrumentation. I've called it pocket mass because it's, uh, you know, it's not terribly long. Um, I would like to do it with a full chorus, and in order to do that, I have to raise money because I don't have the, I don't have enough personal capital in order to hire the singers in. Uh, and the way I've figured out how to make it, um, you know, a, a lower budget project rather than getting, you know, 30 singers in and hiring a hall, which would be really expensive. Um, I have uh, six other singer friends, and they and my husband and I will go into a studio, and we will do it kind of like triple tracking it so that we sound like 24 singers. I think it'll <laughs> sound really good. I really do. And then we can, I, I'm hoping I can get uh, a live double bass and cello player to do the, the string parts for it. Now, um, you, you, you've recorded before, haven't you? Yes. I did a lot of recording when I lived in New York City, and I've done a lot of recording out here for my husband. He's a producer, and uh, he's done probably more than a dozen, I think, albums for a, a library music company. We specialize in library music. And um, what has the response been so far? Uh, on Kickstarter? Yes. Uh, I've, I'm about a quarter of the way towards my goal. If anyone wants to sign up for it, that would be wonderful and it would make me very happy. We'll um, put up a link. Um, and the, yeah, the URL is www.kickstarter.com kickstarter.com and uh, I can send you the link Bennett if you'd like to please do my project the name please of do. the project the name of the project if you want to search it on Kickstarter is pocket mass and um, what are you gonna have any, do you have any other projects up there or what are you going to do after this um, once I uh, once I get this recorded I will sit down probably and take a deep breath <laughs> um, but, Always recommended. Um, I, I would kind of like to write a symphonic work, uh, and that's been kind of stirring around in my head. But as far as this project is concerned, it will be part of a self-titled CD called Pocket Mass. There will be some additional music I will record for it that will be, of, you know, sort of on a separate funding track and everything. I'll pay for it myself. Uh, and then I hope to release the full CD sometime next 
offering with, uh, uh, I'll do a, a CD actually printed out, and I'll also offer it as download. Now, are there um, other vehicles like this website, or is it you know kind of one of a kind? Well, to me, it's one of a kind. I haven't searched for other, um, you know, resources like this. They may be out there. I don't know. I do know that Kickstarter was written up recently in the New York Times. So I have a feeling that its traffic has really, really, really shot up. And is that how you discovered it? Uh, no, I discovered it because uh, Jeffrey Golden sent me uh a soliciting email a couple of years ago. I've been on Kickstarter for a couple of years um, and for his new magazine, and that's how I found out about it, because they put their project up on Kickstarter. Well, Ron, we wish you great luck, and uh, we will post um, the, the link for your project on Kickstarter. And, and everyone, that's Ron Burnham. Um, her project is Pocket Mass. And Pocket um, Mass. how much are you seeking to raise? Uh, $6,000. It's a real small amount, but it, uh, it will it will mean I can go do what I want to do. As they say where I come from, it's a bargain. So um, <laughs> everyone, Ron's very talented, and so I, I hope um, you'll take advantage of this and um, check her out on Kickstarter. Um, Ron Burnham, Pocket Mass, coming soon, hopefully, to a CD near you. Thank you, Ron. We appreciate you for joining us. And um, when we come back after these messages, um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the latest news before then we'll bring on um, Cashmere Hill after this. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. 
Try My SEO Tool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back um, here. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. And going to give you a brief update on some of the developments going on in the Internet world. Um, one thing that's interesting that's going on is a, there was a little bit of a, a there are two wars going on. The one has been settled. We have pieces at hand. And the other one seems to be heating up. We have a border war to replace our Amazon war. And the border war is, as you may recall, the, the book chain borders has um, closed its retail outlets and they are in bankruptcy court. And so the issue now becomes what to do with its data. Um, and particularly as it seeks a possible merger with um, Barnes, as a, a acquisition by Barnes and Noble, and what is what is occurring is it turns out that at one point um, Borders in their privacy policy said that um, we 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 can um, we will not share your data without your consent, and then I guess as things started going south, they changed their policy and said, well, if we do um, go bankrupt, we will. Of course, that would become an asset of the bankruptcy uh, estate. And so now um, the FTC has intervened in the bankruptcy proceeding and is objecting to any transfer with that, without um, the consumer's consent, and you know, properly so. And so the issue here is really an, a, it's a, a reminder about foresight and a reminder about um, to think about all the options available when drafting a privacy policy. Um, the mistake here was, was actually in, in, in both instances. You know, I think in, in drafting a privacy policy, I think the, the original borders people probably thought, well, let's make it as nice and um, touchy-feely as possible. So we'll say, you know, don't worry, we won't give, you, give your data away in bankruptcy. Um, we will only do it with your consent. And you know, as a practical matter, if you're bankrupt, you're bankrupt. And you know, that's maybe one of the few assets you have left to protect your creditors. I mean, granted, they are your, cons- you know, they were talking about data of your consumers and your customers who, who actually you know, sustained you over the years. But, you know, they do have the protection of a bankruptcy judge. And so in that respect, you know, it, it may have been advisable in the first instance. And I always recommend it to you know, make clear that if you know, this company goes belly up, um, the data we have on you is an asset. Now, the second mistake was in the updated policy, and that in updating the policy, the company should have gone back and clarified and got consent from prior users, because in making a material change to a policy um, after the fact, it, it, it is not permissible to do so, and it really isn't enforceable. And so consumers have given data relying upon the understanding that their data wouldn't be shared without their consent. And, um, you know, a lawyer can't change that by, by fiat. So, um, a little mistake on both ends. And now we have a little bit of a, um, situation and a minor border war over privacy. Now, the Amazon wars that have been going on seems to have found a little bit of peace in California. 
Um, the state of California has agreed to suspend collection of online sales tax until 2015, um, September um, 15, September 15, 2015, and um, in return for the piece, and to allow the idea is to allow um, Amazon and some other prominent retailers to try to address this at the federal level. Because that probably is the best way to address it. Now, what is the practical likelihood that this would be addressed at the federal level? Um, I think at this point, uh, virtually um, nil, at least not in this Congress, but maybe in a future Congress. So um, that that is on the table. And so here's what happens in return. In return, Amazon is dropping its um, very costly campaign to um, have the uh, the initial Amazon tax repealed by referendum. And Amazon has made certain promises to open facilities and create jobs here in California. Um, it's anticipated that um, as many as um, 10,000 full-time jobs and 25,000 um, seasonal employees will be hired by the end of 2015. And um, But then... Um, Actually, I misspoke. Um, the actual date for the Amazon tax to um, go back into effect is September 15, 2012. Um, a little dyslexia on my part today. Um, and that is the um, that would be basically a one-year extension. So California, in exchange for getting the jobs, will lose uh, an estimate of, of some $200 million and as which compounds an already existing 500 million shortfall and so they will have to revisit um, their revenue situation but um they have on board with this agreement um the major retailers Walmart who's a major party behind this um and Amazon um the affiliate community is happy because it, my understanding that Amazon will be after all um, re-engaging its, its in-state affiliates. So in many respects, it, it this could be a win-win um, for everyone involved and uh, at least gives a temporary truce. Um, I don't know if any other state would really have this of option available to them just given the size of the California market, um, Illinois possibly given its size. But it is something um, I commend the parties for actually you know, getting through to um, but, of course, you know, this issue is just going to be reengaged in a few months. So um, it's definitely going to be a page turner for, for some continued time. And um, hopefully um, for all the Amazon affiliates, um, hopefully this will be a very um, smooth transition back to reengagement. Um, it will been a couple of months where you had been down. So I wish you all luck um, getting back engaged in, um, in prompt order. And um, one issue we didn't get to talk about um, last time was the um, the FTC has had some recent enforcement actions, and one of the enforcement actions is just it's shocking. Um, I was really damn disheartened to find that this was not the case, but apparently there's a there's a cell phone app um, that you can have on your your smartphone that would um, it purports to. Um, scan your face and and fight acne and um as much as people some teenagers out there may wish this were true apparently the federal trade commission informs us this is not and has issued a consent decree um barring them from making such representations and ordering um a relatively small fine in, in, in return but um 
a party who's not getting a small fine is um, Reeboks. And Reeboks has been ordered to pay $25 million in customer refunds to change um, to an uh, exchange for consumers who relied upon their ads that they um, that their shoes had their toning shoes strengthened and toned muscles. And so um, all we represent here at Cyberlaw Business Report is that we hopefully we're strengthening and toning your um, your cerebral muscle and probably your gluteus muscle since you're sitting listening to this. But any event, um, we, we won't be um, paying any fines to the FTC. So Reeboks apparently uh, overstated what it um, was able to do with its shoes and is um, going to be paying a fine and uh, refunding consumers. Again, um, it's interesting to see that at the same time, the mistakes being made by big boys and little boys. It's... Um, People trying to maybe push the envelope just a little bit. I know in a tough economy that may seem attractive, although this was several years ago, I believe, that the um, Reeboks made the, the contention, actually 2009. And um, so it's always smart to be careful and to have your contentions checked out um, before going um, widespread with them in your marketing campaign. And um, so... The FTC has remained active, and actually, um, they've also had some enforcement actions against some um, negative option um, sellers. You might want to check out their website, FTC.gov. They've also released a a video, which we'll post um, on free trial offers, a message from the FTC, um, which often are accompanied by negative options, and um, we'll post that as well. And um, so, the... um, but the big thing going on today is the Congressional Internet Caucus um, sponsors an annual State of the Internet event in Washington in January every year. And the last couple of years, they've also been holding a a Western State of the Internet event late in the year um, out in Silicon Valley. And, and yesterday and today, it's been going on up at Santa Clara University um, under Eric Goldman's um, High Tech Institute there. And um, yesterday was Congressman Zoe Lofgren talking. And today we have Congressman Marsha Blackburn. And um, Congressman Blackburn is somewhat of a controversial figure. And yesterday she made the statement comparing the um, FCC's proposed net neutrality regulations to um, to the Iron Curtain. Well, I, I tend to see a different view. I don't really believe this is quite a Berlin Wall situation. And so her comments have sparked quite a bit of controversy. And But Ms. Ms. Blackburn has been a zealous opponent of net neutrality, and she's been leading the, the charge from day one to defund um, any effort to enforce the regs and to repeal them outright. And so she's speaking today as we speak. I think her remarks are just concluding now. And so we look forward to getting word on what it is that she said today. Maybe we'll have someone um, from Santa Clara give us an update next week. But um, so Congress is getting back, and um, we're going to have a lot of debates such as this going forward. But one debate that is heating up and is privacy. And privacy in terms of tracking Privacy in terms of um, what is the scope of information that 
is be available to businesses and what must be retained. For example, Zoe Lofgren is uh, spoke yesterday, and uh, you know she's concerned about a, a bill that's being used under the auspices of um, um, under the auspices of you know preventing um, sexual predators, and it's really just being used as a tool to require um, businesses to keep information indefinitely on consumers. Um, you know, she actually. Um, has spoken, been quite outspoken about the legislation. And um, her actual, she actually proposed changing the title of the legislation to keep every American's digital data for submission to the federal government without a warrant act of 2011. So um, I, we'll, we'll hear more um, next week on the, exactly how things went in Santa Clara today and yesterday. Um, but when we come back, we'll hopefully we'll have Cashmere Hill um, she's had some new interesting stories this week on um, data tracking by Ansar and as well as the extent to which Facebook tracks your online activities. Um, seems to be a popular topic for her, but she's been a groundbreaking journalist and um, we look forward to having her after this break. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. On the road. On the boat, working out, or up in the air. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. Radio's virtual autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. 
And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, and I'm very pleased to have with us Kashmira Hill. She's a staff writer with Forbes magazine, um, well known for her blog, The Not-So-Private Part, which has done a wonderful job the last few years of just covering um, inroads and privacy and data collection. And, um, you know, I think she's broken a number of great stories um, from um, – um, data sniffing, uh, web browser sniffing, to even recently the um, OnStar and um, tracking you. And so, Kashmir, are you with us? Yes, thanks for having me on today, Bennett. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. It's just um, I must compliment you on the you know, your reporting and the this, the stories that you've come up with over the years. I mean, you really seem to be you know um, breaking um, great ground and and in many ways shaping debate. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, privacy is such a fertile topic right now. Our information is just out there everywhere, so it's it seems like it's hard not to stumble into great stories. And, and I, it's funny, I, I, going through your blog, which you know, the not so private parts on, on Forbes, is it, it's interesting in that it, one of the first questions that comes to my mind is is are are you a, a privacy um, skeptic or a privacy optimist or? You know, giving that what you see some of some of the you know, worst some of the behavior at its worst. Um, I like to describe myself as a privacy pragmatist um, because I mean, one of the things that uh, one of my approaches to privacy is that uh, I try not to be too alarmist uh, about kind of the use of our information in different ways because I think there are are a lot of benefits to um, the collection of information and data and, and repurposing that. Uh, there are a lot of positive ways um, uh, that the data can be used, uh, but definitely in in the technology age where so much more of what we do is tracked um, because we are kind of surrounded by devices that collect data really easily, it uh, definitely feels like there's a reduction in the kind of amount of privacy that we that we have. Uh, but I do think there are a lot of benefits to certain losses of privacy. Now, today you have a story on Facebook, and you discovered the extent to which they, they tracked, um, I guess very few consumers were, the fact that they, they track who you ping. Uh, yeah, they keep track of uh, everyone who has ever poked you, um, ever since <laughs> you you know first got onto Facebook. Uh, and also, I mean, they also have a record of people that you have poked that can be pulled up, and a lot of people don't. This is one of those things that people don't think about that might be tracked because usually on Facebook, uh, if I don't know if you're you're someone who likes to poke people, uh, but when you get poked, you usually poke back or you just remove it. And so I think it was a surprise to some people that when you remove it, it doesn't actually go away. It can be stored for years. Actually, and it stays on my page. I mean, there are people who poke me, and I, I still don't know why they poked me, and it just seems <laughs> to stay there. And um, but I, I guess you know it is it's surprising to know that, that there's a record of that. And, yeah, it's, uh, really, it's really interesting in terms of how our friendships are tracked now by Facebook. I mean, you get this face, uh, in that report, um, which came from Europe, because you know Europe's Europe's privacy laws are so different from the U.S. And um, over there, they have a um, a right to access where you can contact a company and ask for a report on all of the personal information that they have about you. So um, that particular report came from somebody in Austria, and it was 800 pages, and it had you know the history of pokes, but also had the history of everyone who's ever friended them and everyone they've defriended. Um, 
as well as every event they've ever been invited to on the network and how they responded. And it's just interesting the way that our friendships now get get tracked in this way that there are people that you were friends with that you're not friends with anymore, you know, people that you were close enough that you once poked, uh, that you don't poke anymore. And it all gets captured in uh, this digital form, um, these kinds of uh, ebbs and flows of our friendships that before just, you know, weren't, weren't captured on paper. Now, have you seen this report? Um, yes, they actually, um, this group uh, from Austria called Europe uh, versus Facebook posted a couple of the reports. I mean, they run 800 pages, 1,000 pages, depending on how long uh, you've been a Facebook member. And they blacked out the personal information, uh, such as their names, um, or, you know, there's a history of all the messages that they've exchanged on the network. And so they blacked out the content of those messages. But, um, yeah, you can actually see these reports. And if you're a European citizen, you can request one of them. And, and looking at it, did you get a sense? Because I mean, 800 pages, that sounds like a lot. Is this a, did you get a sense this was a particularly active user or just kind of a run-of-the-mill user? This looked like a pretty kind of normal Facebook user. They have a couple hundred friends. Um, they've been on since uh, t- late 2007. Uh, and it's, they, they look like a pretty normal, not a, not a hyperactive user, but a fairly kind of uh, average, average use user. Um, and a lot of the information wasn't that... Um, it, it, I didn't, it, you know, reading it, I didn't feel like I was invading this person's privacy. Um, a lot of it's very surface level, but when you get that aggregate activity, I think it kind of um, makes some people feel uncomfortable to realize that this stuff doesn't just go away. Which then, you know, I, I kind of have this visual image of McKay Calkin from Home Alone, you know, that, that um, child, the, the modern version of the scream, thinking, oh my God, I wonder how many pages I must have. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure you, we're all, everyone else is thinking the same if that's you know, a run-of-the-mill person in 800 pages. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see my own report, but we, um, we don't have a right by law to get this report from Facebook in the U.S. And it actually, you know, it raises some interesting kind of privacy security questions in terms of the process of getting that information. Um, Facebook basically requires a government ID and then somebody's name and birthday and address. So one thing I wondered is whether this process could be corrupted um, where uh, you have one person who would love to see another person's uh, Facebook history and then, you know, just snaps a photo of their license and then puts in a request for them. Um, one of these things that sometimes uh, sometimes these laws created to protect privacy can can actually imperil privacy um, so you really have to, to think through them carefully. It, it's, um, you know, it's, I always tell people, and I've said this before, you know, I, my background is I, I grew up in a Catholic family, went to a Catholic school, we were terrorized by these four foot 11 nuns. And, um, but somehow they, they just had us cower over this thought of our permanent record. And God knows what it was, but, you know, we were terrified of it. And, you know, and now we were created. We create it daily and in volumes, mm-hmm. and quite you know, looks like you know eight hundred pages or more worth. <laughs> and you know, it's it's kind of an interesting concept. Now in Europe, there's the whole debate, and I don't know what your, your thought is of whether this would love a take hold here of the the right to be forgotten, and the the, the concept being, 
I can walk away from Facebook and and tomorrow and come tomorrow or maybe the day after, um, there should be no trace of me. Right. The right to have your, your data deleted. Right. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's definitely um, supported strongly in, in Europe. Um, it's something that's being discussed in the U.S., so it's, it's not clear. Like, well, for one thing, law enforcement doesn't really like the idea of it. I mean, law enforcement really um, has been taking advantage of these digital records and, and being able to pull Facebook reports and um, Google search history logs. It can be very useful in investigations. So actually, the Department of Justice has kind of pushed back against um, this idea of data deletion. Um, and even in Europe, it's, it's unclear how this will play out. The, the kind of major case that's gotten attention there is a Spanish plastic surgeon who doesn't like his Google search results um, because uh, a woman uh, accused him of a botched operation a few years back, and there was a newspaper article about it. And though um, the case against him was um, eventually dismissed in his favor, the newspaper article still comes up. And so he really wants that washed out of his Google search results, and he wants Google to delete it. Um, and so that's kind of this, this different version of the right to be forgotten. Um, it's almost like the right to suppress. Yeah, it's, it, it starts running into free speech issues. And, you know, if I were potentially going to be a patient of that doctor, I might actually want to see that article. Um, so it's a little bit more complicated than it, than it first seems in terms of just having the right to delete your data. Um, there are all these other uh, considerations. And so I, I, my feeling is that it won't move forward in the U.S. for, for those reasons because we tend to be more protective of free speech here than we are of uh, privacy rights. It, it's, um, it, is, it is an issue there. And it's, it's interesting because I've actually represented, I have, I've had a client who was a, you know, a virtual internet troglodyte and had very little, you know, one of the few people where you could search her name and only um, less than a full page of results would come up. And mm-hmm. someone had posted something very nasty about her on some dating site, and she wasn't even dating anyone. And so three of the five hits you get were hers. And, you know, that's devastating to someone. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, you've actually, um, you've posted on this. You, you have that, um, you highlighted that one group in Washington that's helping women, to, you know, have, take stuff down. And it, it's an interesting, you know, um, dynamic because in one hand you want stuff um, to be out there, you want the truth to be out there, but at the same time, you know, when the, the stuff that is not true is put out there, it can be very devastating. And dealing and getting it taken down can be a very slow and an expensive process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of startups um, now in this space um, that are dedicated to basically helping to clean up people's Google right. footprints. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic. One of the things that you can do to you know, protect your reputation and kind of protect your privacy in a way is to put more information uh, out there. Um, That's true. So the more the more websites you create about yourself, a blog, a Facebook page, a LinkedIn uh, account helps to push those results down. But it means you have to put more information out there about yourself. There's a double-edged sword. It's interesting. You know, I was I was I was. Glad to see that you published the, uh, the article a, f- a couple weeks back. Um, I was actually even talked to um, the, the woman. I'm trying to pull it up here. 
um, from Washington. Um, they, they're about to relaunch their website, actually. Um, is this, uh, is this uh, Colleen? Yes, uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually we may have her on later on, you know, later on during the year. And because um, I was at a privacy conference, um, I think it was like the hundredth anniversary of Judge, uh, Justice Brandeis's. Um, article in the Harvard Law Review on privacy, which apparently has had such an Im- impact on the evolution of American privacy law. And and there was such a, a huge turnout and um, at this conference in Berkeley. In fact, the FTC scheduled one of its roundtables on privacy around this conference. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of whole panoply of you know, this greater privacy intelligentsia. And there's only a handful of us there who dealt with you know, the cyber harassment, you know, the negative sides of what's going on there and how, um, you know, sometimes privacy, you know, too much attention to privacy can be a problem. And you know, it just struck me. It's just, there were so many people devoted to privacy there and, and so little attention and often was the issue of you know, what's being done with, uh, in terms of internet abuse is often being poo-pooed, um, you know, while it's free speech, deal with it type of thing. And it just struck me. And I, I remember raising the question, yeah, how many people have committed suicide over a cookie? And um, you know, it, I mean, it's not to belittle the you know what you know the significance of privacy, but it just it, there definitely it's just been a longer debate, and there are more people involved, and you know, it's something that affects everyone every day. Whereas you know, not all of us fortunately are harassed every day. Right. And, um, yeah, it seems like uh, in terms of the movement towards kind of privacy we talk about a lot of it has been the cookies and the tracking and the actual harm with some of these privacy practices just is not as as clear um, um, you know a lot of people aren't actually bothered by the idea that advertisers are using their personal information to, to target better ads at them um, that's not as destructive as you know having something nasty appear about you on the first page of your Google search results uh, but legislatively, I think uh, it's a little bit harder to solve the the latter problem than it is the former. Now, um, how, how did you get on this beat? Um, I so I started out as a legal blogger. Um, I used to be an editor for AboveTheLaw.com, um, and I wrote a lot about uh, uh, judges and lawyers. And um, uh, started really, I was. Quite influenced by um, um, Justice. You were a Covington. Uh, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was first a legal assistant at um, at Covington and Burling, and then after that, um, started working for Above the Law, and was very influenced by um, Justice or Judge uh, Posner, who writes about uh, privacy as something that people use to hide bad things about themselves. And I noticed that a lot of the people writing about privacy tend to be very alarmist and. Um, talking a lot about privacy invasions um, in a kind of, it felt like they were trying to create a lot of fear in people. Um, so I wanted to write about privacy issues in a more kind of level-headed way, um, kind of not uh, overreact to every single one and talk about how sometimes um, where privacy is reduced, it's it's not as bad a thing as it first seems. Um, but I try to, but I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-privacy. I try to kind of, 
you know, figure out what is the, the best approach and stick with that. But, you know, it started because I was just um, writing so much about the law and kept seeing these privacy cases and, and also had a whole bunch of information about myself on the Internet as a blogger uh, and started getting kind of strange emails from people and having them dig up strange things from my past and just started really thinking about what the uh, impact of kind of growing up digitally would be on, on us. Are you based in D.C. Or, or New York? I, I used to be in New York. Um, I just moved back to D.C. in September. Oh, why, why back? Just because of what everything's going on legislatively or you just prefer D.C.? Yeah, there's a lot more happening with privacy in D.C. than, than in New York. In New York, you just tend to have the ad firms who are, are talking a lot about do not track. Um, right. But in terms of, yeah, the broader uh, sweep of privacy issues, it's best at this point to be in D.C. or San Francisco. True, yeah. Well, you're going to have a lot of activity, I think, a lot of hearings this fall. Um, on Capitol Hill, you have the FCC and the F- F- FTC, FCC, and and then plus all the various other groups going on. So, yeah, you're probably in a good location. But yeah, I think it's a very hot topic right now, and congressmen love coming out swinging for privacy. Yeah, they do. And they've been writing a but, lot of letters to a lot of companies. I remember I actually I did a little bit of lobbying on, on on some privacy issues a few years back, and, and when I was in house, and um, I always just found that privacy is something that it's going to get a lot of uh, heat, um, it'll get a lot of attention, but it, it's going to be very hard to do something. I think just with so many stakeholders, unless it's something very non controversial. Right. There are so many bills right now that are floating around, and it's unclear whether any of them will move forward. And the tech companies are, are, are spending a lot of money uh, on these issues in the hope that it'll be a self-regulated environment rather than something that's um, handled uh, by legislators, I think. Well, there's also you know, there's some conspiracy theorists who think that Microsoft wants greater privacy and regulation as a way to you know throw Google under the bus. <laughs> I, I hear that sometimes, but um, well, there was so, a kind of uh, there was a kind of kerfuffle here earlier this year um, because Facebook had been uh, pushing a lobbyist to circle um, uh, pushing a lobbyist to circulate a story about Google uh, circles and how invasive it was going to be for for privacy, and they were doing it through this lobbying firm, and this lobbying firm was trying to put out um, a really devastating op-ed, and then it came back that it was Google that was behind it. So a lot of people were laughing about that, that, that Facebook would be, um, you know, uh, waging this kind of privacy uh, campaign against Google. So, yeah, all the tech giants are, um, <laughs> are kind of at one another's throat sometimes here. I mean, in some ways, it's, it's, it, I, I'd say bravo in a way, because I recall... And when I was up there in, in 2005 and 2004, um, you know, I, rec- I went to a, a conference at the Tech Policy Summit, um, and I forget the executive, but he, you know, he had, had been to a successful tech exec, and he said he, bl- he bragged that um, he did not pay attention to Washington. And you know, I wanted to raise my hand and say, "Excuse me, can you guys put this kick me sign on your back now." And um, but it, it seems that you know that's changed, and and so and that's good because you know I, I, when I went up there, um, there were you know the people on the hill are very smart people, but you know, unless people are giving them the information, um, 
you know, they they may be ill informed, and you know, I actually had a lobby against a bill that um, inadvertently outlawed HTML and Java. Oh wow! <laughs> and, and and so it's just a matter of getting the information. But yeah, you know, at the time I was working with a company that had principals who were, um, you know, some of them weren't even registered to vote, and so. Um, it's you know it's good to see that there the money has taken you know, getting more involved, particularly as we get into net neutrality too, because um, there the telecoms have just you know been involved so much longer. Now you have some right. great stories this week. I, I want to give you the chance to plug them, um, particularly on the OnStar thing. Yeah, this has been a fascinating, um, a fascinating case. I mean, it came and it it was it was revol- resolved very quickly. Um, OnStar is the safety and navigation system that a lot of people have in their cars. It's a, a subsidiary of uh, GM. And um, they want to change... movie star this year. <laughs> What's that? They're a movie star in that. What was that? Bad Bosses? Evil Bosses? Oh, is, does OnStar play a role in Bad Bosses? Yeah, the, the character. In the, the, I don't know if it's OnStar, but the, the OnStar-like char- um, device actually is, becomes a character. Oh, interesting. Um well, they basically, they have 6 million customers and they sent out an email to the customer saying, you know, we're changing our terms and conditions. You can find it attached. And I'm sure most people just hit delete uh, when they got that email. But um, one, of their, one of their customers uh, was a forensic, is a forensic scientist who's very interested in privacy issues. So he went to review it and realized that one of the things that they were changing is that after you canceled your OnStar subscription, uh, it would continue, it would keep the data connection to your car and it would continue to collect data about your driving, about your gas use, um, about the performance of your car, uh, the location of the car. Um, and it said, you know, we, we, we reserve the right to uh, share this information with our partners and we may sell it one day. Uh, and, and he got very upset and said, you know, they shouldn't be continuing to collect data from non-customers and to make it, and they're making it opt out so that if you don't want this to happen, you have to specifically call them. Um, so people got very upset about this. It got a lot of media attention. Three different senators objected and said it might be a violation of federal law, though they weren't specific about which federal law it would be. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer asked for the FTC to investigate. And so then OnStar, you know, within two weeks of sending out the the email decided that they weren't going to make this change. But to me, it was really interesting because I'm just seeing companies that they have, I mean, GM OnStar has this tracking device in your car and there's a lot of valuable data it could collect. And I think companies are really greedy for that data. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes they're not thinking through uh, how it's going to be perceived by people that they go ahead and, and reach out for that data. I mean, initially, there's a safety issue. You know, that that's you know, they pitch that as well. This you know, if you're lost or if you know you're in distress, cops can find you. Right. Um, They didn't necessarily mean the the direct marketing association can find you. Right, right, right. They said the benefits would be that they could warn you about you know terrible weather, um, or you could have that that emergency component, but you wouldn't actually be a a customer of OnStar anymore. Um, so I'm not sure exactly which services you would still have access to as a non-customer. Uh, well, but now they've reversed that, and they have reserved. I mean, they still collect that information from subscribers uh, and analyze that information and use it to improve their products. Uh, but they won't be doing it for non-subscribers 
I'm getting the, the signal here. Now, um, Kashmir, if people want to find you, what's the best way to, for them to, to look you up and read your um, always interesting columns? Uh, well, my web address is uh, blogs.forbes slash Kashmir Hill, and um, I'm on Twitter as Cash Hill, K-A-S-H-H-I-L-L. Well, thank you for joining us, and I, I'm a big fan. I, 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 I read your stuff, and um, it's amazing some of the stories you've broken over the last year. And um, so do keep us informed, and thank you for joining us. I hope you'll consider joining us again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on today. Everyone. Kashmir Hill. And uh, one last word before we go. You may recall at the, the start of the year, um, we were on quite a hot streak. Um, we had uh, one guest win a case um, 15 minutes after being on the air and then um, three days after talking about the Twitter revolution in the Middle East, um, Hosni Mubarak stepped down. Um, at that point, when we had our total mojo, um, I invited the Boston Red Sox to come on the, on the air um, to take advantage of that mojo. Well, here we are late in the season. They're tied for the wild card spot. They didn't take advantage of it. So it's up to you guys. I did what I could. So good luck to you. Any event, this was the Cyber Law and Business Report. I hope you'll join us next week. And as always, um, you can find us on webmasterradio.fm or on iTunes. And I um, hope you'll spread the word and see you next week. This is Bennett Kelly from Minute Law Center in Santa Monica. Have a good week. Case adjourned.